1: James continues on the topic of strife, and that in itself is noteworthy. It is fascinating to observe the concern that we see in the Bible for social sin. In the contemporary church, we speak mostly about sexual sin. And again, let me say, I wouldn't want to see us caring any less about sexual sin. I'm just saying that if we're going to take the Bible seriously, then we need to care more about social sin. James is talking about real faith. And apparently, real faith has an awful lot to do with how we relate to other people. What you do in the dark, in the privacy of your own home, that's important. But so too is what you do in the light, in the public square where everyone can see you. Social sin has personal and evangelistic consequences, so we need to talk about it more than we do. And we need to pay attention to passages in the Bible like James chapter 4. In this chapter, we hear the apostle speaking in the strongest possible terms against intertribal warfare in the Christian community. J. Alec Mathias is here. James chooses the vocabulary of war to express controversies and quarrels, animosities, and bad feeling among Christians, not because there is no other way of saying it, but because there is no other way of expressing the horror of it. Closed quote. Christians today have become far too easy in their march to war with one another. John Calvin who knew how to fight when there was no other option, nevertheless warned strongly against over-scrupulous inquiry, such as is commonly carried on by hypocrites who too minutely examine the sayings and doings of their brethren and put on them the worst construction, closed quote. This is a big deal, Calvin said. More importantly, this is a big deal the Bible says. If your interaction with fellow Christians is characterized by overscrupulous inquiry and minute criticism and mean-spirited misrepresentation, then you have a heart problem and you need to get that sorted out. This is a word we need to hear, brothers and sisters, all of us, so let's do that. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So in chapter 3, we were talking about how the words that came out of our mouths re- reflect the truth of what sort of things reside in our hearts. Jesus said, after all, Matthew 12:34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here, James is carrying on with that. He is saying that When you are constantly spewing fighting words into the public square or into the blogosphere or over the supper table or out in the lobby of your church, wherever, if you're doing that, what that reveals is that you have a divided heart. You've got some grace in your heart pushing you one way, and then you've got some sin in your heart pushing you another way. And the conflict inside you bubbles over and becomes the conflict out signed you. That's the issue. Desires are at war within your heart, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, pause here. James is speaking metaphorically. He's using the language of warfare, as J. Alec Machir reminded us, to talk about how we interact with one another. Now, where do you think he got that from? Well, of course, he got it from Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the fires of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Are you hearing that? Jesus says that God doesn't even want to hear your worship if you've been fighting with and insulting your brother. Don't even come to church. Don't even bother praying until you go and attempt reconciliation with that brother. Don't come into God's presence with the blood of saints upon your hands. That's what Jesus said. So we're not surprised to hear James using that same kind of language. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Are you hearing that? James is saying that you're like a man who can't decide which woman he wants to be with. You're trying to have your cake and eat it too. You want to be in a relationship with God, but you also want to maintain your relationship with the world. Your well is drawing upon things of the Spirit and soaking up the values of hell. That's why you got mixture coming out of your mouth. Because you were intimately connected to two very different sources. And you can't have it both ways. Your worldliness obstructs your power in prayer. That's why you ask and have not. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your desires. God is not going to fund your idolatry. God is not going to empower your vitriol. He isn't going to resource any desire that is not born of the Spirit. God wants to own all of your heart. The Bible makes it very clear that nothing good comes from a divided heart. Remember David's charge to his son Solomon? He said, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. First Chronicles eight nine. But, of course, Solomon didn't do that. In fact, the Bible says Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done, 1 Kings 11.6. Solomon was a half-hearted guy. He loved the Lord, but he had other loves as well, and those loves led him into ruin. That is what James is saying here. That's spiritual adultery. And just know, it's not an option from God's perspective. You might think you're having it both ways, but you are not. Be assured of this. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you are in love with the world, if you are intimately connected to the world, then you make yourself an enemy of God. He will not be commingled. That's what James is saying when he says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Now, That's how verse 5 is translated in the ESV, but if you have a different version of the Bible open in front of you, then you probably see something quite different. This verse is one of the hardest verses in the Bible to translate, and there are several legitimate options. The good news is that all those legitimate options all mean basically the same thing at the end of the day. However you render it, the meaning is fairly clear. J. Alec Montier offers this explanation. He says it means that God's people are indwelt by God's Spirit. And there is no way in which the living presence of that spirit is compatible with those sinful yearnings and promptings of self-interest which are destructive of the peace of the church. So this state of affairs can't continue. That's what James is saying. You can't carry on with two contradictory sources feeding into your heart. You can't keep mixing fresh water with salt water. The battle for your heart has to come down on one side or the other. And so the counsel is pretty clear. You need to pick a side. You need to fight off one source of desire, and you need to feed, grow, and nurture the other source of desire. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, the grace of God is contrary to the spirit of the world, and therefore the friendship of the world is to be avoided. If we pretend to be friends of God, yea, the grace of God will correct and cure the spirit that naturally dwells in us. Where he giveth grace, he giveth another spirit than that of the world. Thanks be to God. Indeed, that's the very next thing that James says in verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So again, James is speaking to us here in gospel terms. The solution isn't a seven-step program. It's not to start a swear jar or a slander bank. The solution is to repent. The solution is to humble yourself and to admit the truth that there is something broken down deep inside of you and to go to God to beg for additional grace and mercy. Ask the God who saved you to sanctify you. Go to him and tell him that you are like that man in the parable who received a first touch from Jesus and could see people walking around, but they they looked like stick figures. But then he got a second touch from Jesus, and he could see everything perfectly. Tell God that you are like that man. Tell him that you need another touch from Jesus. And maybe a third, a fourth, a fifth. You need grace to correct and cure the spirit that naturally dwells within you. A humble person knows that and says that, and receives grace and help from God. Verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's the gospel right there. That's the doggy door to the kingdom of God. Get down in your face, bang your fists against the ground, and pray for mercy. Be wretched and mourn and weep. That's where miracles happen. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Get down in your face, and God will lift you up. He will give you more grace. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, this might feel like a strange transition. James has just been speaking about repenting before God and getting on your face before God. Now he's working the horizontal dimension and talking about making a change in how we relate to other people. That feels like a hard turn, but I don't think it is at all. I think that's how real repentance works. I think there is business to do with God, and then there's a change to make with men and women, and I think that's what James is saying here. He's saying that you need to come out of your prayer closet, and you need to go out into the public square, and you need to make some changes. You need to decide sometimes to zip your lip. You need to decide to turn off the slander faucet. You need to step down off the judge's bench and realize that you, too, are a sinner, and so you need to begin to conduct yourself in a spirit of gratitude and humility. It's the humility theme that seems to provide the logical transition into the final paragraph. In verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. As I mentioned, the transition here has to do with humility, but James is still talking about speech. J. Alec Machir, again, is helpful. He says, it is interesting and typical of James that this sin, too, is put before us as a sin of speech. We are not now, however, defaming a brother. We are talking with a like arrogance to ourselves. Most sins of speech have to do with saying things to or about other people in an unloving or censorious manner. But here the sin is the sin of speaking presumptuously to ourselves about ourselves. God even cares about that. He cares about our inner monologue. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought about that before? I'm not sure that I have either, but here it is. And James ends by saying, now that you know that, you are responsible for that. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So now we know, and now we are accountable. Oh God, command what you will, but give what you command. Give us more grace, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: And thanks be to God.